Well, good morning. It is the Sunday after Christmas. New Year's is coming pretty fast. We still have New Year's to celebrate, but some of us might be starting to feel a little let down. Pretty soon we get back to work, get back to school. We have the decorations to take down if we didn't already do that. The needles are starting to fall off the tree really fast. And if we're not careful, the passing of December 5th can cause us to be a little sad or maybe just a little relieved. We got caught up in all the busyness and the buying and the gift giving and the cooking and the baking and now we just want to let out a sigh of relief. Or maybe we're relieved because Christmas can be a little hard sometimes if we're missing somebody who we used to spend Christmas with and who isn't with us anymore. But I have good news for you. The best, the best is yet to come. Christmas is more than a birthday. And Jesus is much, much more than a baby in a manger. Yes, he is. And for that reason, we really need to have joyful hearts every day of the year, not just on the days leading up with great anticipation to December 25th. So today, I'm going to throw us into the future a little bit. We're going to look 112 days ahead to the next great Christian holiday, which is undeniably and unquestionably tied to Christmas. And of course, I'm talking about Easter. We're going to turn today to Luke's gospel, the gospel out of which we read many of the wonderful birth narratives. But we're going to look ahead 33 years after we celebrated the baby in the manger, there was a day when two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus. Their hearts were broken. They met up with a stranger. They didn't recognize the stranger as Jesus. They were sad, and he asked them why, and they explained, haven't you heard? Where have you been? And he opened their minds and explained the scriptures to them and helped them understand that what had happened to Jesus, his crucifixion and his burial, had to occur to fulfill the scriptures. And then when he got to their home, they invited him in, and as he broke bread, suddenly they recognized that it was Jesus they had been walking with and that he had risen, and then he disappeared. And they immediately turned around and ran back up the road to Jerusalem from Emmaus and they met up with the other disciples there and they were sharing the news that Jesus had risen and was alive. And that's where we will pick up the story in Luke chapter 24. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. 
The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And so, I'll bet right now, there's at least one or two of you thinking, Oh, how'd she get to Easter? The Christmas tree isn't even down yet. The decorations aren't put away. My in-laws are still here. (laughs) Why are you talking about the resurrection and ascension of the crucified and risen Lord? There's so much ground to cover before we get to Easter. First, Jesus has to grow up a little bit. And as a boy, go to the temple and amaze the rabbis with his questions and his learning. He has to be baptized by John the Baptist. And the Holy Spirit has to descend upon him. He has to feed the 5,000 and preach the Sermon on the Mount. There's so much left before we get to Easter. Why are you talking about Easter? And the answer is, without Easter, Christmas is just another birthday. Without Easter, Christmas is just the commemoration of a good man, a prophet, a teacher, a rabbi. A man who was a healer, who was a great leader, and who showed more compassion and love than anyone had ever shown before him. But without Easter, Christmas is just a birthday. A few years ago, I saw on Facebook a saying that stuck with me. Now, a lot of what's on Facebook is just baloney and garbage. You know that, and I do. But one day near Easter, I saw a picture, you know, one of the pictures of the empty tomb, And over the picture was inscribed the words, Christmas is the promise, but Easter is the proof. And that's why today I feel like we have to talk about Easter. Otherwise, those feelings of being a little down, of being a little sad that the holiday season is over and that we're going to get back into our routines, those feelings can let us forget that we have work to do and that there's way, way more to the story than the baby in the manger. It's true. Christmas and Easter are linked. There's a lot of similarities if you think about it. First of all, a baby was born, vulnerable, needy, had to be cared for by his parents. He was being pursued by Herod who wanted him dead. 33 years later, the man Jesus was still vulnerable. He wouldn't use his divine powers to save himself. He was still being pursued, this time by Pharisees and religious leaders who wanted him dead. And this time they thought they succeeded when they crucified him on the cross. But then Easter morning came and the tomb was empty and Jesus was no longer vulnerable. His divinity was revealed in all its glory. The sinfulness of those who had denied him, 
abandoned him, pursued him, accused him, and crucified him, was overcome by the resurrection. He came to share in our human experience and our death so that like him, we could rise in glory at the hour appointed by God. Easter finished what Christmas began. Two events undeniably connected. Without Easter, Christmas would have had a tragic ending, a life cut short, with a mission fulfilled, with mission unfulfilled. But with Easter, you and I are saved. You know, I don't believe that when the writers of the gospel wrote that there was any accident to their word choices or the turn of phrases that they used. I believe, indeed, they were inspired by God. And when they told their stories of Christ's birth and they told the stories of his resurrection, there were some amazing similarities in their choices of words and the way they described Jesus. Let's start with him being wrapped in cloth and laid in a borrowed place. In Luke chapter 2, we know that Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. And the scriptures tell us the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. A borrowed manger wrapped in those swaddling clothes. But when he died, another man named Joseph, not his father, but Joseph, who was a Pharisee, a Pharisee who loved God and loved Jesus, went to Pilate. This is what the scripture says. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. He had no place when he was born, and there was no place when he died. He was wrapped in cloth both times. And then there were the angels, the angels who proclaimed his coming and his rising. That beloved scripture from Luke chapter 2, when the angels appear to the lowly shepherds, those stinky, smelly outcasts who nobody loved, they were the first to hear the news. And this is, what the, this is what the scripture tells us. Lowly shepherds in that region. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord. 33 years later, some women, also kind of the lowly class in society, treated like they were owned by their husbands or had to be cared for by their eldest sons if their husbands had passed away. And yet, some women, the Marys, went to the tomb where Jesus was buried because they wanted to put spices on his body. But this is what happened. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven 
and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then those women became the very first evangelists and ran back to the other disciples and told them that Jesus had risen. But consider the circumstances. He was born in a manger. This season we have had wood all around the sanctuary. The setting not depicting marble and gold and wealth or riches but the setting reminding us that our Savior was born in a stable, surrounded first by animals and then lowly shepherds. The next thing, the next thing the scriptures tell us, after the angels proclaimed his birth, we know that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple so that he could be circumcised according to the law. And when they went to the temple, they met a man named Simeon. Simeon was an old man, and he was thrilled to see Jesus. And when he took him from Mary, this is what he said. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Not just Israel, not just Gentiles, Gentiles and Israel, Israel and Gentiles. And then Jesus himself, after rising from the dead, after the resurrection, opened the minds of his disciples, just as I read to you earlier, and said, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, but not ending in Jerusalem. And then he reminded us, he reminded us and them one more time before he ascended into heaven, where we read in Acts chapter 1, his promise, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth includes Largo, Florida. And it includes Sudan and Uganda, where Carolyn Goodwin is. It includes all places, no matter what people are there or who they worship. He came for us all, not only for who we choose. You know, there's a beautiful thing about the holiday seasons, both Christmas and Easter, and that is that we listen to some gorgeous music, just beautiful music. Of course, at Christmas time, some of that music is a little bit more reflective of our society. We sing about Rudolph with his red nose and rocking around the Christmas tree and even about Grandma getting run over by a reindeer sometimes. And when Easter comes, you know, we have... Peter Cottontail, hippity-hoppity, Easter's on its way, and in your Easter bonnet. But you know, friends, there are some great Christmas hymns, and I'm going to, um, 
with the help of our praise team, thank you very much. You see they have hymnals, and I'd like to have you grab a hymnal now. Because we're going to sing a couple songs together. And we're not going to have a lot of musical backup, and we're going to have better voices than mine to lead. But we're going to sing two hymns that were written by a man named Charles Wesley. He was the brother of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Charles was less outspoken. Charles wasn't such a firebrand. But Charles had a poet's heart, and he expressed the theology that he understood in song. Why did we just sing that? Friends, we sang that because of the words that remind us, Where, O death, is now thy sting? Once he died our souls to save, Where thy victory, O grave? Love's redeeming work is done, Fought the fight, the battle won. Made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Redemption, salvation. So you're not allowed to be sad that Christmas has passed. You're not allowed to feel down in the dumps because it's ten months till Halloween comes and we start it all again so early. In 112 days, we're going to celebrate Easter. But Jesus came at Christmas time. And these two hymns and the scriptures I read to you earlier remind us that both at birth and death he was wrapped in cloths and lied and lay down in a place that wasn't his own. Angels proclaimed what happened, saying, Don't be afraid. And Jesus and the prophet Simeon, the rabbi, said, He came for all of us. You know, Pastor Rick Warren wrote a lot of books, but one of the famous ones is A Purpose Driven Life, another one is A Purpose Driven Church, and a third one that's not as well known is The Purpose of Christmas. And in that book he tells us Jesus came to save us from something. He came to save us from sin and death. He came to save us by something, by his grace. We know we don't deserve it, but we don't have to deserve it. He loves us anyway. But he also came to save us for something. And as a deacon whose mission in the church is to connect the church to the needs of the world and the needy world back to a loving, open-armed church, I remind you that he came to save us for something. We aren't meant to keep Christ's peace and hope and love and joy and his salvation for ourselves. We gave a lot of gifts away at Christmas, but the best gift that we can give anyone, and we can give it every day, is the gift of the good news of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. That's a gift that's meant to be experienced, not just on December 25th, but 365 days a year. So let's resolve to leave here with hearts filled with peace and hope and love and joy. And as we take down our trees and put away our decorations and we say goodbye to the in-laws and we say goodbye to the grandkids, let us remember that Easter's coming and we still have work to do.